Welcome back to Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined for another episode by Brian Kaufman. We have a great show for you today as we continue our football preview series with the Big Ten. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. If you like the show, we'd love if you leave a five-star review. So let's get into it. Brian, what's worse? Having your favorite baseball team trade away a 23-year-old superstar or having your favorite baseball team trade away the heart and soul of the team and your closer while they're in the thick of a wild card race? Um, we might have different answers on this one, but uh, I'm still not quite over my favorite team trading Juan Soto. Uh, I don't know. They call it a rebuild. I kind of think 23-year-old generational talents are the guys you rebuild around. Uh, but call me old-fashioned. I don't know. We'll see. Enough baseball. It's football season. It is. It is. It is. And let's get into some, I guess we're calling it the Power 2 now, right? Yeah, Power 2 football, Big 16. You know, we're, let's get into it. Here we go. So Big 10, we're we're getting close. We're getting closer to things. We got the Big 10 today. We got the SEC next week as our Power 2. Uh, so let's dive into last time on the Big 10. So last season in Big Ten world, for the first time since 2011, Michigan finally beat Ohio State. And for the first time since 2004, the Wolverines won the Big Ten. Michigan made the college ball playoff for the first time where they were drummed by eventual national champion Georgia uh, and pretty much in typical Big Ten fashion. That's that's kind of what happens elsewhere in the state of Michigan. First-year head coach Mel Tucker took East Lansing by storm with a 10-2 regular season and a Peach Bowl win by Pitt, something I don't think anybody would have predicted uh, at the beginning of last year. And then not a single head coaching change took place in the conference, which is just very Big Ten. And then we got to finish it off by talking about conference realignment. Talked about it last week, of course, USC and UCLA coming over to the Big Ten for 2023 season. But the news this week that front office sports is reporting is that the Big Ten is now hoping to earn 50% more in media rights, which would be $1.5 billion annually. Just gives you a little glimpse into exactly why that move was made and, and what we can expect from it. And that was last time on the Big Ten. I feel like that's always so funny. Like the, the articles have been like, the Big Ten's trying to fetch a billion dollars. Like billion with a B. They'll be the first time to do that. Now it's coming out, okay, at least $1.5 And it's always so funny. We're talking about 0.5. That 0.5 is $500 million. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yep, yep, it, it matters. It's a lot of money at play here. That 0.5 is more than ESPN paid to get the SEC CBS game away from CBS. Unbelievable. That's what that 0.5 is. I think that was $300 million annually. Now, granted, just for that one game, but still, that's what that 0.5 is. It's a, it's a big sum of money. And, like, I know... It's funny, last week we both said we we're sick of conference realignment talk, but this just goes to show like what what these moves are doing, and I feel like nothing exemplifies it more than Michigan State being able to pay Mel Tucker all that money. I think when they offered him the extension, when he signed the extension, he was the second highest paid coach in all college football. Now that's gone down now that Kirby Smart has... Uh, has signed has signed an extension and a few other deals have gone down, but still, like Michigan State, I you, you have to say part of why Michigan State was able to make a move like that is because of how much TV revenue was coming in from the Big Ten. 
And this is why teams want to be part of the power too, right? You got to get in when you can. Obviously, they've been in for a long time, but the money is there. And I think you're totally right. It's, it's having a huge impact across the board. No doubt about it. Well, all right, let's get let's get on to, to some things on the field. We got a full football season again. Let's talk some ball, starting with our four downs. So, Brian, I'm going to start, start us off in the middle of the conference. Let's do Which it. one of these two middling to bottom tier Big Ten teams? I think one, yeah, I think one program would be a little bit offended being compared to the other. But which of these two teams is more likely to become a complete team this season? They're both kind of half teams. Maryland, who last year had a top 10 offense in SP+, but had the number 77 defense. Or Minnesota, who had the number 48 offense, but the number 9 defense. So, I um, I thought that the phrasing of this question was interesting, right? Because, like, which team do I think is going to have a better season isn't necessarily the question. So, I was looking at these things as I was dissecting. I think it's, it's a great question, a great way to look at these things. I... So, so the question is essentially, right, is Minnesota's offense going to get better or is Maryland's defense going to get better? So I want to say Minnesota because Mo Ibrahim's coming back, right? And you and he has the most career success of anyone on either of the units that we're asking to step up here, right? He's rushed for 1,000 yards or more in two different seasons, 30 career rushing touchdowns. They return a lot of experience. And I'm all for experience. But I can't go with the Tanner Morgan-led team. I simply can't. I'm all for experience, but not when it's not good experience. You know, it's wild to think about Tanner Morgan had Heisman odds to start a season at one point in his career. Last season, the guy threw for 200 yards or more just two times. He threw two picks, was sacked six times in a loss to Illinois, when Minnesota, by the way, was very much still in the Big Ten West race. I just, I don't trust it. Now, I know there's a lot of talk about Kirk Shiraka being back, and that's PJ's guy, offensive coordinator. It didn't work out at Penn State. I think he was like an analyst at West Virginia last year, some some kind of off, off the sidelines, off the field role. Um, we know it can work, Kirk Shiraka, as, as flex offensive coordinator. I, I, I don't trust it. I don't trust that Tanner Morgan can make plays when he needs to make plays. So while the Maryland defense kind of was, is, and always will be scary, I, I, I'm going to go with them. I'm going to go with them just because I, I've, I, I've seen it. I've seen it from Minnesota, I, and I don't buy it. And maybe I'm over here being wishful thinking. Uh, as as a as a turf fan, but I think I you know they have some pieces on defense. Did they lose some some young transfers? We would have loved to see stay. Sure, but I think they've got some young pieces who can do it now. If uh, I mean okay, I'll stop there. If the question was which team's gonna have a better year, like I I actually do trust Maryland's offense the most of any of the four units that we could have talked about here, right? With with Talia returning and all the weapons he has in offense, so I could see them lighting up the scoreboard and route to a couple of wins um, more than Minnesota's team being able to do that. So that's, that's where I come down. Be interested to hear your thoughts. So you say Maryland, you say, say you, you I, think I, Maryland gonna... has the better chance of becoming a more complete team than Minnesota. I do say okay. that. Yes. Okay. Man, it's hard. It's hard. Like the reason I asked the question is because both teams have a very clear weakness. They have one side of the ball. That's very they're Like I said, they're half teams. Um, so I think it's a hard question and I don't mind saying, 
I don't know. This is all obviously like where as all this these previews are, we're we're hypothesizing. But if I, I would t- I would on, honestly kind of go opposite of you because I I do like the reunion of Morgan and, and Kirk Soraka. You know, you you've been around Kirk Soraka. I mean, he was he was with PJ at Western Michigan when you were covering them there. He Tanner Morgan had more success with Soraka than he has with anybody else. I feel like there has to be something there, but like from your perspective, I mean, what do you think of Kirk Soraka in general? Do you think he's a good offensive coordinator? I do. And, and worth noting, like Tanner Morgan was a Western Michigan recruit. Like he's, he wants to be with these guys. These two guys are the two main guys who recruited him, PJ Fleck and Kirk Soraka. Um, I, I do think he's good. I mean, I watched them go undefeated. I watched him, call plays for an offense that had a top five NFL draft pick in the Mac, right? And Corey Davis. Um, It didn't work at Penn State. I I don't know, you know, what what didn't translate and and I didn't dissect the film. I think think you're right to like, okay, it's a tough question. If you're looking for any sort of advantage, it's like, okay, well, they're reuniting their their, their offensive coordinator. Um, I, 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 I... I just don't think that the QB can make the plays that he's going to need to be called on to make. And it, it scares me. It scares me a bit. Now I, I, it, I also wouldn't say, like I, I do. Like, let me, can I, can I give you the numbers really quick from yeah, 2019? Yeah. So when, when they were together, Tanner Morgan, 10.2 yards per attempt, 30 touchdowns to seven interceptions and 66% completion percentage last year, uh, 59.6% completion percentage, 8.2 yards per attempt. 10 touchdowns to nine interceptions. That's pretty drastically different. I think that's fair. I think it's fair. I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is I I saw the guy make a lot of bad plays, a lot of bad throws, take a lot of bad sacks and not and not be able to do it. But I I mean I think it's a totally valid point to say he's more comfortable in these scenarios. And maybe it was a failed experiment with Sharaka to Penn State and with whoever was calling plays in Minnesota when when Tanner seemingly took a step back. I don't think it's unrealistic for him to improve over that year. I just I I, I don't think Minnesota's gonna be some strong offensive unit. I don't see it. Yeah, that's fair. And and from my perspective on Maryland too, like I think Maryland the thing here's my thing with Maryland's defense. There's pieces at every level of the defense but there's also questions at every level of the defense and it just mm-hmm. it just seems like a very incomplete unit and you mentioned the high profile transfers I think that really is a big deal and I don't know if it's more mentally when you're looking at this team than in practice but when you lose it was either I mean those three guys um uh Terrence Lewis Brandon Jennings and and, and Demian Chop Robinson, they I think were the three highest rated recruits that Lockley ha- has gotten while he's been at Maryland. Rakeem Jarrett might be might be higher than one of them, but if not the three highest, the three highest on the defensive side of the ball, certainly. And they're all gone. They're all gone. And that like I think I tend to think that it's talent is more important. Not more important, but talent shows itself out better on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball because on offense there's ways there's more ways to scheme around the talent and on defense sometimes it's just about 
being really fast, being really strong, <laughs> getting in the right place and, and making a play, right? So I feel like talent tends to show itself more on defense and you need that high-end talent more on defense. And Maryland lost a lot of its high-end talent, but they have good pieces. They have pieces in the secondary. They have some pieces at linebacker. They even have, they have some pieces up front too. But all in all, like the, the depth is a question and whether they can put it all together. It just seems like it's going to take a really perfect storm for the Maryland defense to be call it even top 50 whereas we do have some proof of concept with Minnesota with with Tanner Morgan and Soraka totally a fair point totally a fair point I'm gonna go to the top of the conference for second down um because I really think you can't talk about obviously the Big Ten without talking about Ohio State um my question for you is how ready would you say they are for a and I put this in air quotes bounce back year and how much of a realistic national championship contender are they? So, I mean, I, I think they're a very realistic national title contender. I think they're one of three teams. They're, to me, there's a very clear tier, and we're going to talk about a couple of these teams next week, but Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State are the three clear-cut top teams to start the season. And in reality, to me, Alabama and Ohio State are actually the very clear-cut top two. I actually think there's even a little bit of a gap uh, between those two and Georgia. So I think they're very ready for a bounce-back season. Um, At Media Day, Ryan Day said, we expect a top-10 defense. And you know what? As the head coach at Ohio State, I think that's the right thing to say. They should expect a top-10 defense. They're Ohio State. They should expect to be a top five team every year they should expect to be completing competing for the college ball playoff every year and that was clearly their their weakness last season but I do want to I do want to talk about something when we talk about their weakness last year they had two really bad games that we remember one at the beginning of the season one at the end of the season the Oregon game we all remember was atrocious the Michigan game we all remember was atrocious but they had nine games in the middle where they were actually not so bad on defense. So in that Oregon game, they allowed 269 yards rushing, and they had no sacks, one tackle for loss. Against Michigan, 297 yards rushing, no sacks, no tackles for loss. That's really, really bad. But in those middle nine games, they allowed 75 rushing yards per game. They had just under four sacks a game and eight tackles for loss. Um They allowed teams to score over 20 points just twice, once in a 33-24 win against Penn State and once in a 59-31 win against Purdue. And they also held Michigan State to seven points and 66 rushing yards. That was a top 10 team. So, like, I say that to say, yes, they had two very bad games that we're going to remember, and it made that is what made them... uh, below you know sub that that is what held them out of the college football playoff that is what made them not a national championship contender however compare it to the rest of the conference it was still pretty suitable so now the question is this year can they turn it in to that top 10 defense can they become an elite defense and i think i really like so they they have a new defensive coordinator jim Knowles, um and you know i don't know that he's going to turn things around like right away immediately, but he has a lot of talent to work with, especially at defensive end. I think that's going to be a really strong unit for them. They have uh, a senior DN, Zach Harrison. So just like a lot of the other guys, he was a five-star in his class in 2020. 20- 
2019. He had three sacks last year, which isn't the most for an edge rusher, but he's listed as Pro Football Focus's number seven returning edge defender. He actually had an even higher grade in 2020, and he he's a, a high-end draft prospect. He's Phil Steele's number five draft, draft eligible defensive end. So high-end talent right there, right? Then they have a couple other guys on the edge who were the number four and five overall players in the class of 2021. So JT, Tui Alolo and Jack Sawyer, who's going to be joining that group. Number four and five players overall in their class, the class of 2021. So basically, you have super high-end talent, one guy who's already shown it on the field to some extent, and um, some guys who you know, have the pedigree to do it. So ton of talent to work with. I think they're going to be better on the edge, up front, um, you know, up the middle. That's where the questions remain. And, I mean, it remains to be seen. They have Taron Vincent, who... He was a five-star guy, but he hasn't really seemed to live up to the hype um, that he came in with. So we'll see. I know that they have a guy, uh, Talik Williams, who they like a lot. He was a four-star in the class of 2021. But I think that's where their biggest question mark is. But my question back to you, Brian, would be who in the conference really has the ability to make them pay up the middle? Yeah, yeah, I, that's that's my thing with them. I, I, I'm actually pretty bullish on them as as a national title contender sounds like you are too like I, I they may be my pick you know as i continue to go through these previews it's just like they they seem complete and i think it's it's fair to point out that question mark but i don't know that there's anybody who's going to who's going to punish them or or take advantage of it so yeah no i i think you're 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 totally in you're you're on it and you know it, we kind of glossed over it a bit, but they held Michigan state to 66 rush yards. That's a team that was rushing all over everybody with Kenneth Walker, hundreds of yards a game. And so um, I do think they're set up uh, to do it. And, and obviously you talked a lot about defense, you know, maybe because the offense goes without saying, but the guys that the dudes that they have CJ Stroud, Travion Henderson's back, the receiving core, they lost two. NFL lottery picks, if you will, at receiver, and they might be just as strong in that room as they were before. Um, so, I mean, they're going to, they, they never really have trouble putting up points. And then, yeah, if, I mean, if they are anywhere near a top 10 defense, I think, I think they're right there as, as the best team in the country. Yeah, I think that's, the, I, I was going to say that, like, they, we should talk about the offense because the <laughs> offense is hands down the best in the country. To me, right? yes. CJ Stroud is the best quarterback in the country right there with, with Bryce Young. Um, but they're, I, to me, they're one, two. I mean, am I missing somebody there? No, no, okay. I don't think I don't, so. Yeah. Nope. I don't think so either. Um, yeah. I mean, there's not much to say. They're going to be a, a powerhouse on offense. So to me, it's just a no brainer that that offense is going to be one of the best in the country. They're going to score with anybody. And I just don't see anybody in the big 10 who can take advantage of them. No, no. And, and I mean, we'll, we'll talk bets later on, but I think they're over under 11 and it's like, I, I, I hate over under 11s cuz like are you really going to bet on a team to go undefeated when winning is really hard but like I'm not going to take the under. Man, <laughs> so they're, it's like <laughs> they're minus 2000 to win 10 games. Minus 2000 to win 10 minus games. 2, I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. It's, it's I mean it's going to hit. You're not going to yeah. make a ton of money on it. Nope. <laughs> there you go. All right, what do we got next? Let's see. For third down, uh, we talked about it a bit. Um, Mel Tucker, Michigan State, right? And and how they made some noise, particularly in the transfer portal. 
Uh, I mentioned Kenneth Walker a moment ago. You mentioned, uh, A, the deal that Mel Tucker got, and B, just the surprising season that they had. Um, really a, a bounce-back year for them. They dipped back into the well this year. A couple of backs, Jalen Berger, Jarek Broussard, coming in. So I, it's kind of a two-part question, one slightly more philosophical than the other. But I guess I would say, do you expect Michigan State to experience the same level of success this season? And is this a feasible way to contend in the Big Ten East long-term? Because they're paying Mel Tucker like he's going to have them competing for championships. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it hasn't felt like his high school recruiting has matched his transfer portal, transfer portal recruiting. So interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, so there's a lot, a lot there. Um, so okay, let's just start like in the in the short term. This year, I, I I do see some regression coming. I'm pretty scared. I'm pretty scared of two things: their offensive line and Peyton Thorn. So on the surface, Thorn's numbers looked really good last year. He was over sixty percent completion percentage, threw for thirty two hundred plus yards, had twenty seven touchdowns. But according to Pro Football Focus. 31% of his throws were uncatchable, which was 54 out of 67 Power 5 quarterbacks. He was 30th in turnover-worthy plays, uh, so throwing a lot of balls up for grabs. And um, he was 101st out of 294 quarterbacks. So, like, a perfectly he, – he was in the – he was – that's not that's not good enough. That's not good <laughs> enough if your goals are win a Big Ten title, win a national title. And now he doesn't have Kenneth Walker. Um, I know they relied a lot on play action. They did a lot of play action, uh, getting him some easy throws based on the threat of Kenneth Walker. And without him, it scares me a lot. Now, longer term, you're right. Like, I don't think it's, they haven't, it hasn't paid dividends per se yet in recruiting. I think they were number 25 in, uh, in la or number 23 rather in last year's class. And that's just not the level that Ohio state, recruits at Ohio State like we got to talk about this Ohio State is in a different level Ohio State Alabama Georgia they've kind of been like by themselves in recruiting now Texas A&M has gotten up there uh this past year but let me just like let me compare it for you so Ohio State finished fourth last year they had two five stars 18 four stars Michigan State finished 23rd they had zero five stars six four stars so yes they're in the top 25 it's not, the but same it's not, it's not field. close, right, right? It's not even close. And, um, I, I think for this year, I believe they're like average rating, uh, on the players they have committed this year is over 90. It was just over 90, which is very impressive. They have 10, four stars committed. Um, and that's a great start, but you got it. If you are truly going to compete for national titles, you have to get, you have to be recruiting in that top five level because Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State have done it for years and years and years and years now. Like, I don't even know if it's enough for Texas A&M, who's done it for one year. You have to stack it year after year after year after year. So, no, I'm not going to, like, predict that they're going to go win a national title anytime soon. But I think what we've seen this year was is encouraging. Ten four-stars is encouraging. I, I just don't know how sustainable the whole like take a bunch of guys out of the transfer portal is. I, I want to do a little project this year and I want to like try to identify our transfer portal. Like who are the transfer portal teams and just see how they do and how long it takes them. And if there's a kind of learning curve, a gelling curve with them. So I don't know, Michigan state, that's definitely one. I, I will have to look and see who else are yeah. the transfer portal teams are. But so this year, like 
I, I think there's just going to be a wide variance with them. Anytime you're taking a ton of guys out of the portal, like they could have a good year. They could drop to six wins. It could all fall apart. Yeah, and they're also relying on the guys who are supposed to carry the team on offense out of the transfer portal, which is just so interesting. Like, think about what you said with Ohio State. They had a five-star interior defensive lineman who's been lackluster, and guess what? They're they're totally fine because, like you said, they're stacking it year after year after year. And if Kenneth Walker didn't work out out of the portal last year, we're not having them as one of our four downs in this conversation because they didn't win ten games. So it's it is interesting, and and it's it's not unlike what they're doing now. So I, I, I think that's totally fair and it'll be interesting to see, but you, at some point you're going to have to to stack a little bit more talent from the high school level. And I, I, I think you nailed it with that. Now, one thing I do want to mention with Michigan state though, like on their long-term trajectory is we talked about the investment they made monetarily in Mel Tucker. I, I believe they also have a very large assistant coaching uh, salary pool right now, which is only going to help. And in addition to the media money, I know they have a couple donors who are really funding the football program and athletic department in general right now. I think they have a former basketball player who's become a billionaire who um, is is donating a lot of money to the school. So wherever you have financial investment, I, I like the odds of competing in the long run. I think it's just going to take some time. I mean, Mel Tucker he might be the guy to do it. I mean, I think he he's showing signs of being able to guy to do it, but I don't, I, I cannot sit here today in 2022 and be like, they're going to be in a comfortable playoff in the next five years. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. It was a, uh, I know this, um, it was like a walk on, on like the, the early two thousands title, the 2000 title team. Um, for Tom Izzo that, uh, yeah, I think he's, a uh, his name is escaping me. But he's he's made himself a lot of money. Um, Matt I think he made, Ishbia. Yeah, he made like a fifty million dollar donation once, and and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's that's a lot of the game these days, isn't it? You know where you're getting money from. It doesn't matter as long as it's coming in. Absolutely. All right, fourth down, Brian. Let's talk about Penn State. James Franklin's eleven and eleven over the past two years. Should we expect them to bounce back, or should we just expect more of the same? So for, for now, I, I'm sticking with more of the same. Um, and I promise you my plan wasn't to, to come in here and just talk smack on Big Ten quarterbacks who have been around for a while. But Sean Clifford ain't it, man. And, and so I think, like, in order to make that jump, something's got to give, something's got to happen. Now, I, I think it is important, it, with that being my main point, to give the caveat that they have a five-star on campus now. Drew Aller tore it up at Elite 11. He's from Ohio. The Buckeyes tried to swoop in and flip him. By all accounts, he's a real deal type of quarterback. Um, but so it feels like that's kind of what, what's been missing in a while, for a while in State College, right? Like, I mean, like I wouldn't call Trace McSorley an elite level quarterback, but he made plays that won them games. And I feel like since then – that's that's sort of been missing so for me i think we should expect more of the same but i but i'd put an asterisk on it because and i'm not going to act like i knew no drew aller's strengths and weaknesses or whatever right but he's a top 30 guy nationally good things can happen when those guys see the field so i mean we talked about our acc preview right like if if james franklin dabos up and hands the keys over 
we'll see, right? I, I don't know, but otherwise, I'll believe it when I see it. He his is it, you know. And again, I, I think you're going to hit me with something I can tell, but I, I, it doesn't feel like his recruiting has gotten to the point where he's in that Ohio State conversation either, which is where Penn State very much wants James Franklin to be and pays James Franklin to be. Um, so sure. Nine, ten games a couple of years? Yeah. College football playoff berths? I don't think we're talking about it yet. Yeah, man. I mean, James Franklin owes Joe Moorhead so much. I, I right. firmly, firmly, firmly believe if Joe Moorhead had not come in there, I, I don't think James Franklin would, would still be in that job. And not to say James Franklin, there's a lot of things that he does well as a, as a head coach, but that offense has never been good outside of the years Joe Moorhead was there. And I still don't see it. I don't like Sean Clifford. I think he's pretty bad. I think <laughs> you're well within your rights to to hate on a lot of the Big Ten quarterbacks. There's a lot of returning quarterbacks who are not very good, who I'm not really excited to watch play. But they start the season at Purdue on a Thursday yeah, night. They tough. open the season there. They're probably going to be, like, I would guess, let's see, three-point favorite maybe Penn State will be. Yeah, going it's three and a half game. right now. I looked at it this morning, three and a half. But if they lose that game, I mean, do you not have to consider making a, making a quarterback change? I mean, I guess it depends why they lose that game. But, yeah, I, I, I that's kind of I, – I think I – yeah, yeah, I wrote it here. I didn't get get up to that part of my notes, but I was, that's exactly what I wrote. I said, I think Purdue's a sneaky game to start. We could see it happen quickly. If things go South, I, I think, uh, yeah. If you, if you want to have hope in the season, you don't lose to Purdue. If you do, and Sean Clifford, had anything to do with it. And you have this guy, right? It's, it's not unlike the DJ and Cade Klubnik we're talking about earlier and, and the Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I'm not saying that Drew Aller is going to be that, but he's not going to be Sean Clifford and there's something to giving the keys over and having a little bit of hope. So yeah, I do think it could happen that quickly. I, I don't, I don't see any reason. I don't, I don't see what James Franklin owes Sean Clifford for coming back to be quite frank with you. I was surprised when I saw that Sean Clifford was coming back. Yeah, me too. I, it, I thought it might be one of the situations where it's just like, thank you. Thank you <laughs> for all day, that you've sir. done. <laughs> Thank you for what you've done. And there we'll, is the highway. <laughs> we'll be Get glad to see you on homecoming. That's right. We'll welcome you back. Every Good luck homecoming. in the Mac as a grad transfer. <laughs> no, I mean, let's be honest. Their defense is sick. Yeah, they, yeah, they have good. a really good defense. I think they're going to have a top 10 defense. I mean, Joey Porter Jr. is awesome. No surprise, given who his his father is. Right. Um, but th their defense is really good. And I just feel like this is the question with so many Big Ten teams this year, except for Ohio State. It's like, let's see, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Penn State. You have really, really good defenses, but what can you do offensively? And there's so many questions. And I, there's nothing There's nothing that has happened at Penn State outside of the years that Joe Moorhead was there that makes me think they're going to have a competent offense this season. There's just not. That you have no no proof to go off of. They always seem to have talent. They have, you know, they've gotten the five star running backs consistently. I think they got another one this year. It just has never ever come together. And and right, I, I guess it's sort of a, a believe it when I see it type of move.
Oh, yeah, and they don't have Jahan Dotson anymore, who that was there last year. It was like, when in doubt, if, if you need a big play, throw it up, and Dotson will probably make a play for you. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, and again, they they got dudes, but, like, that guy is, is as proven as they come. So, I yeah, I those types of offenses need those guys who you know of. Uh, the John Dotsons that's like overperform, if you will. And and you're right. They don't have it. Hey, Brian, let me ask you a hypothetical about Penn State. Sure. Um, okay, so if Justin Fields, who was originally committed there, had gone there, he had gone there right out of high school. Uh, so he would have been a freshman in the 2018 season. How do you think things might be different for them? I, I mean, I... I think they'd be very different if I'm being honest with you. Like a Justin Fields level level player can change your program. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't have like what, but that next year. So that year, 2018, they were really good, right? 2018. They went, they went nine and three lost to Kentucky in a citrus bowl. Uh, the following year, 2019, they, they had good. a really good year. Um, they finished, they went to the cotton bowl. They finished, uh, 10 and two with a cotton bowl win over Memphis. They had, uh, their two loss. They lost to Minnesota and they lost to Ohio state. And Sean Clifford was their starting quarterback. Yes. Right. He's been around that long. Yep. Sean Clifford was their starting quarterback. Will Levis was their backup. Will Levis was their backup. Weird decision. Right, right, right. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Yeah, I think that has to be like one of the greatest what ifs. Yeah, aren't things different? Like we'll never know, but that like the gap from Sean Clifford to Justin Fields is as great as one to another at any position could be. Oh, and by the way, how could I not mention when I said they lost to Minnesota and Ohio State, Justin Fields was the quarterback at Ohio State. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Right. They lost to Justin Fields. How about that? That is too funny. They probably lost to like J.K. Dobbins, but it's besides the point. Yeah, I just think that's a great a great what if, but you know, we'll, we will never know. And uh, I, hey, I don't think Drew Aller is is any Justin Fields. He might be he might no. be pretty good, but Justin Fields, guys like Justin Fields, don't come along every day. No, they don't. No, they don't. And it, and it's foolish to expect him to be. But I think he might be the best quarterback to go in the program. For a while. And so we'll see. We'll see if it, if it, what it means. All right. Let's move on, Brian, to the bull and the bear. What are we buying? What are we selling? I'll start with you. Let's go positive today. What are you buying? Positive. I like it. So we got into this a bit. We don't need to harp too much more on how great Ohio State's offense is, but one player specifically. So I, I'm buying Jackson Smith and Jibba as the best Ohio state receiver we've seen in the last decade plus. Like, I think this guy is as good as they come like top three NFL draft pick type of guy, like trade the farm. If that's what you need, he had 1600 yards and nine touchdowns last year playing with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And lest we not forget the last time that we saw him on the field, the Rose bowl over Utah, the win, 15 catches, 347 yards, and three touchdowns. Like, unbelievable numbers. But even before that, the four games prior to 347 and three touchdowns, 240 and a touchdown on 15 catches versus Nebraska, 
139 in a touchdown, 105 in a touchdown, and 127 in the loss to Michigan. To me, what jumps out is those reception totals, right? You have all those guys who already went off to the NFL. He had 15, 9, 10, 11, 15 in the last five games, receptions. That's receptions. That's not even targets. So it seems like he and CJ Stroud really have something good going. He's his boy, even playing with those guys. He runs fluidly. Now he is the man. I just expect a massive year from this guy. Um, like I think I think Stroud will get the Heisman hype, but I think he's one of the it doesn't matter if you know he's the guy, guys. And as we talked about Ohio State's recruiting, right? They like Marvin Harrison Jr. also came on strong late. They have the the five star who was mostly kick returning last year who will get more run at wide receiver. So it is sort of like they have a ton of guys who are gonna come back in. I think I think he's like the best true football player in college football this year. And I can't wait to watch him play. So that's who I'm buying it. It might be a cop out. I just, that's why I kind of took it to the next level. Right. I think he is the best receiver we've seen in a long time. So maybe a, uh, a guy, if you play college daily fantasy, a guy you should, you should invest in weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Every single time I'm going to want that guy on there, especially if it's PPR. Cause I'm saying four out of the last five, he had double digit catches. Are you kidding me? Like he's always open, always there. Yeah. I love the guy. Love watching yeah. him play. He's going to be, I mean, he'll, he'll be the highest price receiver every week, but That's maybe fine. early in the season, it, it might be worth it. Uh, there you go. If, if you still think he's a little undervalued, I mean, you're saying he's one of the best, best we've ever seen. So yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, dude, their offense is going to be so much fun to watch. It, it really is. I, I I'm, I'm, Truly looking forward to watching that team play this season. For me, I'm going to go a little bit on the the lower end of the conference, way lower end of the conference, but I'm (laughs) buying an Indiana rebound, okay? Indiana was everybody's darling. They had that great, uh, that great COVID season. Was it the COVID season they had the great year? Was it 2019? Um, Well, either way, they had... They had a, a great season, a, a better season than you know we'd seen in a long time for Indiana, and it was the COVID season where they went they went six and two, but that was following up an eight and five season after several years of Tom Allen just being on the cusp of making a bowl game. Um, but they they did things we hadn't seen done at Indiana in a while, and everybody was really high on them, and it all came crashing back to earth last year. But I really like them for a rebound this year. Last season, they lost 20 players to season-ending injuries. And Indiana's just not the kind of program that can sustain something like that, right? It's things, the conditions got to be right to get things going at Indiana. Um, but I, I think you you got to trust in what Tom Allen's done. You know, he's a guy who truly believes in Indiana. Uh, they, I think, have patience in him. And I think he will get them going again. He, he recruited really well. He signed the uh, 25th best recruiting class last year. And we talked about Michigan State's class. They actually had, Indiana did, a higher average player rating, just barely, than Michigan State did last year. So they got a little bit of fresh talent coming in. They got 13 transfers coming in. They've turned over the roster a little bit. And, you know, I actually am liking them, you know, not to do anything crazy this year. I'll, we'll, when we get to the bets, I'll talk about them a little bit. Um, but I think within the next 
couple years, they will be a bowl team again. I think I could easily see them next year being a bowl team again. Probably this year, I could see five wins. I can definitely see five wins for them because they got a little, they got a, not the hardest schedule in the world. So, you know, everybody's down on Tom Allen in Indiana because they were so high on them two years ago. But I, I like a little bounce back for the Hoosiers. I like it. I like it. All right, we'll transition to selling here. So I'm selling the idea of anybody being a favorite in the West. And so Wisconsin's plus 170, and and they seem like they're a favorite. They're, they're the betting favorite. They have some stuff going on that people really like. But what is sort of a red flag for me, they have five conference road games, including Ohio State, Iowa, and Michigan State. So really, you look at the betting odds and you look at the teams in the West, the only team that would truly surprise me if they win the division would be Illinois. Anybody else like I can look at and talk myself definitely into betting and at least into Northwestern? One or two things go their way. Listen, coming off last year, if this isn't if this doesn't scream they find a win, they average 15 points a game and win 10 games, I don't know what anything about the Big Ten. So, yes, it would surprise me, sure, but I have matured past the point of doubting Pat Fitzgerald when I want to doubt him most. So, yeah, everybody else is a little bit more grouped together for me, sure. Northwestern would be a stretch. But I think this idea that, like, it seems like in what I've been reading, people are like, all right, if things go to plan, it should be Wisconsin. I think, to me, it's a little bit more like there kind of is no plan. And it's it's a little bit more up in the air. So for me, what I'm selling is just this idea that we can look at the Big Ten West and determine a favorite going into the year. Brian, I am I am so done with the days of just penciling in Wisconsin to mm-hmm. the Big Ten championship. I'm I'm done with that. It's it's not it's not the case anymore. They yeah. have not they have not proven it over the past whatever it is now four seasons or so. I mean, Iowa's been just as good as them. Uh, over the past four seasons, and I don't think you can just pencil them in anymore. They have too many offensive question marks. They just do. They sure do, which is really funny because Graham Mertz came in and was supposed to be the savior as a quarterback and just truly hasn't been. So they were supposed to get with the times on offense a bit and and score a few more points, and it just hasn't been the case. So I, I totally agree with you. So while we're down, I'm going to sell something too. And (laughs) that's Michigan as any sort of consistent threat to Ohio State. Okay, I'm so done with this. Great. They won won one game. They beat Ohio State one time. And you know what happened after that, Brian? Well, they got their doors kicked in by Georgia, which (laughs) was my most profitable day of the year. I could not have been happier on that day. The texts I was sending on on that out that day were so freaking obnoxious. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Like that was just, that was an amazing, I cannot tell you how happy I was that day. I, I, you know, you know, that feeling when you just like, you feel something so confidently and then it happens and you just want to rub it in everybody's face. You were on that. I like more than anyone, like literally saw the matchup and we're like, the lines cannot come out soon enough. I need to get all over Georgia as much as I can. So kudos. To I you. bet it every possible way. I bet Georgia. I bet Georgia money line. I bet the Michigan under. Those are really the two biggest things. I think I bet Michigan first half under. Michigan game under. Georgia what, money Michigan, line. I mean Michigan's Georgia team, spread, spread. Team line was like ten. It was like they're not gonna or whatever it was. Uh, uh, I feel like it might have been like sixteen. Or something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Either way, it hey, whatever. Just, it went way whatever under. It was, it, it was like, this is not. It was way under. Realistic. So I was yeah. so happy on that day. Um, but then you know what happened after that, too, Brian? 
Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh desperately tried to get out of town. He desperately tried to leave because he knows, just like I know, they won one game and it ain't happening again for a long time because as we've talked about repeatedly this episode, nobody recruits like Ohio State does. So you might have done it one time, but this is not going to be a consistent thing. Michigan, forget about it. You are not a consistent threat to Ohio State. You're just not. And guess what? After that, the five-star quarterback in their own freaking backyard is going to play at Oregon for a brand-new head coach. If Jim Harbaugh, the quarterback whisperer, can't get that guy I'm with you. I think it's a it's a down turn from here. Don't you think it should mean something that the head coach is trying to get out? Yeah. Yeah, because it didn't it didn't feel like it felt weird. It felt like not a great fit and then it he was weird about it and then Josh Gaddis left and it was like he literally won the Broyles award and immediately left for another offensive coordinator job. Like the Broyles winner is supposed to be the hot candidate as a head coach. And so I, I did. I think there's a lot of weird stuff following a, what should have been a, a celebration for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that that's where I'm at on it, man. There's just, I feel like I'm, I'm hearing a lot of talk like, well, can Michigan do it again? And it makes sense why you'd be asking that question, but I just, I just do not see it. Resounding no. Resounding no. All right. I feel strongly about that. I feel strongly about some bets. How about you? What are you betting? I feel good. I got, I got well, we, we paired up on one. I have two, and we pair up on one, so we'll talk about that one. Uh, it's one we're pretty passionate about. Um, but here's one that, that, that I actually like. So we talked about Michigan State earlier, and I'm with you that I expect some regression too. But I'm betting over seven and a half. I think that I won't be surprised if they fall back to earth a bit this year, but I think this that the total's just a little bit much, right? So I think that there's some question marks on offense or they have to do things differently without Kenneth Walker or whatever. I think their defense will be a little bit better. I think that it's good to get Wisconsin and Ohio State at home. I'm certainly not going to predict that they're going to beat Ohio State, but Wisconsin's homecoming, that's, that's a good opportunity particularly if they go on the road and beat Washington in early September, I think eight is like super doable. And I think they find a way to do it uh, no matter what. I, I sort of expected this to be eight or eight and a half when I was looking at team totals. So I saw seven and a half and, and I, I think they're an eight, an eight and four team. So I'm going over on Michigan state, not a ton of juice on this minus minus one twenty, um, But I feel comfortable enough with the strides that I think they made generally as a program that I think that they're they're right there in that seven eight wins and and I'm gonna go over. I feel like it all comes down to how you feel about that Washington game. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Really, and, that and, Washington and Minnesota game that they have back to back weeks. If yeah. they get both of those, they start the season four and zero. I think that bet's looking great. Yeah, um, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I might look I might look stupid if it's tight with the with the Broncos in week one, but I feel good for now about about over seven and a half. What about you? All right, so you talked about the Big Ten West being wide open, and that's why I'm betting on Nebraska plus 340 to win the division. 
Uh, ESPN's FPI gives them a 29% chance to win the, the division, which would work out to about plus 245. So great value on the Huskers. Um, you know, I know they were not good last year. They lost a lot of close games. And I said last week, like at some point, I think I was talking about turnovers where people talk about turnover luck and kind of close game luck as well. And I said, you know, at some point when you turn the ball over a lot, you're just not a good team. And the same can hold true with, with, um, with losing close games. However, sometimes there's some regression with that as well. So I'm going to bet on, you know, look, if you, when, when you're betting, you're trying to find value, you're trying to, to hit something here and you got to take a little bit of a risk. So I'm going to take a little bit, of, a bit of a risk. I, I'm betting on Scott Frost can, can turn this thing around. I'm betting on, uh, you know, he's bringing in Mark Whipple as the offensive coordinator who worked wonders last year at Pitt. Um, they got, um, they got Hudson Card coming in from Texas, who I'm not the highest on, but I, you know, maybe the combination him and Whipple get a little magic, and like you said, that that thing is wide open. So why not bet on a team that seems to have some value, seems to have some potential? Uh, give me, give me Nebraska for a big hit. Casey Thompson from Texas. Oh, he's, sorry, he's, Casey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, he he showed some things, right? He was the guy at the start. I mean, I, I like Casey Thompson. I I do. I think I like where your head's at there. I like where your head's at there. I think one that we agree on and um, are excited for potentially is this Maryland over five and a half. Would love to hear you uh, explain why that feels as a confident. Yeah, bet. Terps over five and a half. All right, let's go through. So I guess we should uh, should mention at the top for anybody who doesn't know. Hopefully, if you listen to us long enough, you do know. Both Maryland grads, both Maryland fans, uh, proud donor personally to the <laughs> athletic department. So, like, look, I'm biased. I'm biased in this. I'm, I'm going to put my cards on the table here. But this, I think, has the potential to be the best Maryland offense we've ever seen. Uh, Leah Tungavaila is one of the most exciting quarterbacks in the country. I think I'd put him in my top 10 quarterbacks in the country. Everybody remembers he had one bad half against Iowa where it was a disaster. He turned the ball over a bunch of times. Um, and you know what? That's fine. It happened. It was one game, but that's all people who don't watch this program. Remember he had an unbelievable year. He just like from the day he stepped on campus, you just felt like he was a big time quarterback and he can make big time throws. And that's what he does. And to compliment that Maryland has an absolutely unbelievable receiving core. Uh, I would put Maryland's receiving core up against anybody in the country this side of Ohio State. Ohio State is better, but Maryland's is the clear number two, clear number two in the Big Ten. So I think this offense has the potential to go out week after week and score at will. It's all going to come down to, like we talked about earlier, the defense. Um, but I think there's just so much on offense that make it, not making a bowl game would be an absolute disaster. And I will say this for Maryland too. They proved last year, They'll handle bad teams. They they won't beat good teams, but they will handle bad teams. And they have some bad teams on the schedule. So, you know, if you're looking at um in the non-conference, they have, what, Charlotte, um, Buffalo. Buffalo, and then SMU is the tricky one, but it's at home, and they have some turnover. So, you know, you, you got to think, Buffalo and Charlotte are, are going to be 100% wins there. You got... Th- Got to get Rutgers in Indiana for four, and then you're looking for two more. So somewhere out there between that SMU game um, 
and, and some of the other Western on North, homecoming. Yeah, Northwestern on homecoming. Maryland will find a way to get to six. I actually think like if you can get an alternate line at six and a half, I think they can get to seven. And it depends. I mean, obviously it depends on the juice, but I just think this Maryland offense is too good to to not make a bowl game this year. Uh, so so pound it. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Leah threw five picks in that Iowa game. He threw 11 on the season, including those five, right? Like, he was sharp. He was sharp. 3,800-plus yards, 26 touchdowns. He feels big time. And I, and I think part of what I like, too, is from the moment he steps on campus as well, it's felt like he wants to help the program go up a tier, right? He, he wants to – treat it and have it feel like big time, which makes sense. He started at Alabama, right? Like he knows what his brother is to a, like he understands big time and winning college football. And it has felt like that to a certain extent, particularly last year at times. And so with just another year under his belt, you mentioned the receivers, Rack, Demas, Copeland, Jay, Sean Jones, been there forever. Um, uh, I, I like it a lot. I, I like it a lot. I, I the alt line scares me, but I, I do. I like it. I, I like the. I, I feel like it's sort of an if not now when. And I know we've had some of these conversations off the air, but this feels like the year where they they get themselves on the map a bit. So I'm with you. Those are my bets. Do you have any other ones you want to get? I to? do. Yes, I do have one more, and I don't think you'll be surprised based on what we talked about earlier. But I like Penn State under eight. It's plus one twenty. So you know, even if they go eight and four, you push it. I think eight and four is a fairly likely outcome for them. But I really like Purdue to win in week one, and then another game that I think a lot of people are just chalking up as a win is um, Auburn on the road in week three. And I feel like a lot of people are just kind of writing off that Auburn program and Brian Harson because of all the that that whole tumultuous situation that took place over the offseason. But I think we have this we make this mistake a lot in, in just college ball media as college ball fans where we see all this stuff going on and then you hit the field and it's still college football. And like going to the Plains is still going to be hard no matter what is going on. Auburn still has talent. Auburn should have won the Iron Bowl last year. They, they should have won that game. Um, and there actually seems to kind of be a rallying around Harson uh, is the sense that I've gotten to, to some extent from his team. Like I could really see that team rallying around him. Now they could completely give up on him. But I think there's a little right. bit of a rally around, too. So it's still college football, and you're still going to Auburn, and they still have a bunch of talent. And I think we just get so wrapped up in, like, oh, all this crazy stuff is happening. They're done. So I think Auburn's going to win that game. So they could start the year one and two. You got two of the of the five losses needed right there. And then, you know, going through the rest of the schedule, um, they still have to go to Michigan. They still have Penn State. Um, and they still have Michigan State. So, you know, that's that's a couple more losable games right there. That would be the five. Um, they also have Minnesota at home. You know, we just talked a lot about how Maryland is having a, a now or never year. Um, that is in Happy Valley. But, you know, that's going to be a huge game for Maryland. That could be really be a game that Loxley and, and Leah can put their mark on, on the program winning in Happy Valley. So, I don't know. I, I think that's a uh, – I think – that's at worst a push. So with the juice, the plus one twenty, give me Penn State under eight. I like it for good reason too. And I don't know. You you talked a bit about 
would they make a change quickly? For some reason, James Franklin doesn't seem like that guy to me. It seems like he'll he'll be he's more likely to start the conversation of like fans saying why is Clifford still starting than we switch to Aller too soon, right? And so like they could drop a game or two because it's like where is Drew Aller? Uh, why is Sean Clifford still our QB? So I like your explanation. I'm with you. Man, you just put a vision in my head of, I can just picture this right now. So they start off the season, they they go one and two, and in one of those like classic James Franklin viral moments, I wish I could do a good James Franklin impression, but I just have this image of like him standing around a circle of reporters and it gets tweeted out and he's like, everybody's talking about us making a, a quarterback yeah. move. Why is the media always talking about trying, you know, making a quarterback move? Why, why are you guys always talking about this? Why, you know, whatever. Like he, there's going to be some, viral moment when they're one and two about making a quarterback move where he blames everybody but himself for what's going on with the program at the moment i i just have this vision it's <laughs> it's perfectly implanted in my head and if i could do a better james if i could do i can't even start to do a james franklin impression but if i could i would do it for you right now yeah yeah well you work on it between now and when we're recapping games so that when it actually happens uh we might have a guest interview with a yeah, fake James Franklin at some point. Oh, yes, sir. That sounds sounds pretty fun. I, that one time that we had a, uh, a guest interview with Coach K on a different podcast was a good time. Yeah, fond memory. <laughs> fond memory. All right. Well, I think that's it, Brian. No more bets for you? No more bets for me, man. I got to save some money up for the SEC. All right. Well, that's our show. We will be talking about the SEC next week, the league that just means more. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. <laughs>